always, always start my day with Boyer's Coffee. I get it delivered right to my house. Get the K-Cups. Man, it's great. Got the Sumatra lately. They have so many wonderful flavors. Go to boyerscoffee.com. Check out all of their terrific flavors. And they always have uh, new stuff uh, for your perusal. And as I've told you on many occasions, it'll be at your house within 48 hours once you make a couple of clicks uh, online. They have been brewing coffee at altitude since 1965. And it is consistent. It is smooth. It's uh, a great way to start your day. It's a great way to finish your day, as I do many times. And you know I get Boyer's Coffee every night as I'm calling ball games at Coors Field. So make sure you do the same. You can find it in your local grocery stores, but you can also... uh, Order online where it's really simple at boyerscoffee.com. Simply outstanding since 1965. Steel products, they are the best. S-T-I-H-L. I love telling you stories because I run a lot, right, about um, passing somebody doing work in the street and they have a steel product. It happened to me yesterday as I'm running through Beverly Hills. I thought I'd drop that on people, you know, so... Um, way out of my league but I'm but I'm running through you know all these gazillion dollar homes and I pass a guy who is doing some shrubbery work and he's got a huge blower on his back and it was a steel product because they have products for the pros and they also will outfit all of you out there so whether it's a chainsaw a trimmer a blower a lawnmower you got to check out their enormous array of great products. They're worldwide and in our country there's more than 10,000 dealers so there's one right around the corner from you. SteelDealers.com S-T-I-H-L or SteelUSA.com Check out all of the products they have that are going to help you make your house Beverly Hills worthy. How about that? Steel, S-T-I-H-L This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Rockies outfielder and first baseman Sean Bouchard on his ascension to the big leagues. You know, when there's something that you've been working for your whole life and then you kind of get there, it's a proud feeling um, for, you know, for myself, but also for everyone else that has helped me get to this point. Um, you know, family members, friends, coaching. It's just been a really fun experience to just finally get to do that. Also, Sean and Drew talk about the MLB postseason. Drew has a few thoughts on Russell Wilson and the Colorado Avalanche. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is show number 171. Thrilled, as always, that you are along. The season is over. Trying to catch my breath, get caught up. Actually, as we tape this today, it's been one week. It's been gone quickly since the Rockies uh, played game 162 against the Dodgers. And when we had taped that um, podcast, the Rockies actually had won three in a row in L.A. after playing a miserable first couple of games. But they, you know, they finished the season with 74 wins. Not good. We talked a whole lot about that. Not going to get into it uh, in depth uh, right now. I think we've kind of kicked that uh, 
that bear around and we'll do more with the Rockies naturally in the coming uh, weeks. But not today. Other than we have Sean Bouchard on in a little bit. You're going to like this guy. I'm sure you liked what you saw of him on the field in the uh, final month or so of the season. He really played well. He's an intriguing guy and um, really bright guy. Really a uh, fun guy to chat with, and, and I think you'll enjoy our conversation uh, a little bit later on. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of uh, whatever the hell we talk about this week, had to tell you a story, relate a story to you. So there are certain cities that I get a rental car in because it's just easier to travel in a rental car. Like, for instance, in Arizona, I always get a, a rental car. San Francisco, I do not. We're downtown, just take a cab. Uh, to the ballpark and, a, you know, an Uber back, that sort of thing. Uh, in L.A., Southern California, the land of the car, the land of the automobile. I'm convinced that half the population have a fancy car and don't have a pot to piss in. But that's a, a subject for a different day. Anyhow, I always get a car in L.A. And we stay. Um, I've mentioned this before. You stay in really nice places in professional sports. You stay in really great areas, obviously. And so the Rockies stay in, in Beverly Hills. And we've gone to different places through the years. For, for a number of years, we stayed in the Century City, Beverly Hills area. Then we went to Pasadena for a couple of years, uh, only about 20 minutes to the ballpark. Uh, so that was nice. But for several reasons, we stopped staying in Pasadena, then moved downtown. Not a big fan of downtown L.A. Uh, not a lot going on on the weekend in that Starbucks, in, in, unless you're down by L.A. Live, which is, you know, where Staples Center or whatever the hell they call it now, that's located. Um, Starbucks are closed, uh, as I said, unless you're located close to uh, the L.A. Live area. The only good thing about staying downtown. It was only a few minutes to Dodger Stadium off the 110. Other than that, for me, it sucked. I'm, I'm a, I like to get up in the morning and run and, and then, you know, go push weights around. But um, it's, it's a bad place to run. Anyhow, we're back to the Beverly Hills area, which is awesome. The only downside is it literally takes about an hour. On a good day, it's 50 minutes to the ballpark. Now, late at night, once you get out of the parking lot traffic, you can you can zip back and it's not as bad. But so you kind of just gear up and, you know, it's going to take you basically an hour to get from Beverly Hills um, to the ballpark. So you, you get a rental car and I enjoy having a rental car because it just gives me freedom. So I go to get my rental car, um, which was set up at um, I'll, I'll leave the name of the company out, but, you know, a big name company. And I've only rented like 38,000 rental cars in my life. And this is a first. I go in there and they, and they set me up. I get a little SUV and, um, and, I, and I'm literally, I get in the car. I'm ready to drive out of the, uh, out of the parking lot. And I look at the gas tank and it's on empty. Empty. And so I naturally get out of the car and I, and I, find the guy who would help me out. And I said, hey, man, the, the car's on empty. He goes, yeah, yeah, you know, just so you, you can just return it empty. I said, yeah, but I, I got to go now. I don't have time to go. I've never had a car that was empty. What do you mean? We're, I have to go to a gas station first? He said, um, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll, um, we'll go with you and then just take us back here. And uh, so we'll put it on our credit card and we'll give you half a tank and then just return it with half a tank. 
I said, that's crazy. So I, I had to go get a manager. I, now, I wasn't a jerk about this. I was very nice. So I get the manager and and I told him, I said, come on, man, that, that's crazy. I, I understand usually you get a full tank in gas. I do understand that sometimes at these satellite places, you get half a tank. Okay. To have the thing damn empty, and then the first thing you do when you pull off the lot is you have to find a, a gas station before you run out of gas. That's crazy. So um, anyhow, he was nice enough to give me a car. It happened to be an upgrade. It happened to be a you know fancy car. And gave me that and it had a half a tank and I felt a lot better pulling up to the fancy hotel in that particular car than the car they were going to rent me. But that's a, a different aside. Hey, can you imagine picking up a rental car and it's on empty and they're like good with that? Hey, no problem. That's on you. Go get gas. I think at a different stage or in a different mood, I may have gone off more than uh, I did, but I didn't. I was, a, I was a good guy. Uh, but, uh, that was the essence of stupidity. Baseball. I thought this wild card round, I was excited about it. I thought it would be really cool. Best out of three, which I think is a much better format than one and done. I know there was great drama to playing a seventh game, but you play 162 and you bust your ass to make the postseason. To me, you should get at least a couple of opportunities. And what we saw, three of the four were sweeps. The one that went three games was the Met series against San Diego. Get to that in a moment. My impressions were, again, this was Superman. This was excellent. This was fun to watch. There was drama because, you know, you lose one. Now you're playing an elimination game. And I got them all wrong for that matter. I picked the Mets to win. I picked Tampa Bay to win. I believe, I can't even remember. I think I picked Toronto to win. Didn't do well there. And I picked the Cardinals to win. And that that was, a, I think everybody wanted the Cardinals to win. Even if you were a Cubs fan, you wanted the Cardinals to win because of Pujols and Molina and, and maybe Wainwright if he retires. You just have great respect for those guys. You wanted to see them have a bit of a run in the postseason, but it didn't happen. The Phillies have been at least the story as we speak right now of the uh, of the postseason. But I love the drama of the wild card. And it just goes to show you, as we say, I think most postseasons in baseball, you never know. And yes, it can be about the stars, but often it is not. Often it is about an obscure player. When you talk about the great aces of the game, sometimes they throw out a clunker. I'm a Mets fan, as you know, from way back when I'm obviously I'm a Rockies fan first and foremost, but. After that, I grew up a Mets fan, so I want to see the Mets do well. And they have Scherzer and DeGrom lined up, and I know they didn't do well the previous weekend in Atlanta. I know they lost the division, uh, but it was a, it's a whole new, you know, it, everything's wiped clean. And Scherzer gives up four home runs. I mean, who would have figured that? He gives up four home runs, and, and he gets beat badly. DeGrom wasn't great on Saturday, but he was good enough. Two runs over six innings. He wasn't his normal dominant self, but to his credit, he, he helped lead the way in the in the Mets one. And then in, in game three, they get one hit. And that was a bad look, by the way. And kind of a desperation look by Buck Showalter when he had uh, just short of having Joe Musgrove have to undress on the mound. They have him checking his ears. And uh, it, it just was... 
I understand it. But you also have to understand this. It has not happened in the past. It has not happened typically in the regular season because the industry knows that pitchers have used substances for years for grip or for movement. And there's a non-verbalized quid pro quo. We're not going to check because we do the same thing on our side. But he was at desperation mode. They're getting one hit and shut out. And so he had the ears checked of Joe Musgrove, you know, fired him up more. Probably didn't matter at that point in time. They weren't going to get the job done. And the Mets are eliminated. So there's some storylines there on teams that you wanted to see. Uh, and, and not just me. I think a lot of people want to see DeGrom and Scherzer in that, you know, 101 win Met team matchup with. Uh, LA, but it's good. You know, it's good theater seeing San Diego try to beat LA. And as we tape, they lost last night. So this year they've played them 20 times and they're four and 16. Not good. But uh, I hope the Padres can make a, a series out of that. One of the other notes, I'll bust my uh, my partner and close friend Ryan Spielberg's uh, chops. Spilly, you know, felt like it was going to be a huge advantage for the teams that. Um, we're able to have five days off and not participate in the wild card round. And I, you know, listen, I always defer to the the guys that played when it comes to, you know, thoughts about inside a clubhouse and whatever. But I've, I've watched this game for a long, long time. And, and Spilly knows that baseball, more than any other sport, is day after day. Even the NBA and the NHL, it's a grind. But it's not, you don't play seven days a week like you do in baseball most weeks. And you get accustomed to that. And you think back to the 07 Rockies and having to wait nine days to play game one of the World Series. I think that layoff affected them. So I didn't think it was a huge advantage for these teams that were sitting and lying in wait. We'll see how it plays out going forward. Atlanta was lying in wait. They had Max Fried well-rested, and Max Fried got his ass kicked. Uh, Justin Verlander, who had an unbelievable year, 185, I think, ERA. He was well-rested, waiting for the Seattle Mariners to show up. He got his ass kicked, and then they they had the great finish to that game. Jordan Alvarez, left on left against Robbie Ray, uh, takes him deep for the uh, walk-off three-run home run. That was a fabulous game, great drama. But Fried and Verlander got their ass kicked. Julio Arias was... Okay, five innings, three runs for the Dodgers. The Dodgers end up winning the game five to three. He was well rested, but he wasn't dominant. Garrett Cole dealt with a lot of traffic the first three innings. He kind of settled in and ended up having a good performance uh, for the Yankees. But I think it's so overblown this this idea of rest in a sport that is used to playing every single day, and even if the teams that were the higher seed and had the rest ultimately win all four series, I'm still going to tell you it had less to do with the time off and more to do with, you know, talent level or or how those games played out and not because the, you know, again, they had five days off, at least in game one, uh, that had zero to do with it. Anyhow, man, I screwed up the, uh, the wild card round, at least in in terms of who I thought, uh, who I picked to win. But say la vie. It's great. It's great watching postseason baseball. Great watching the drama. I love when people in in my position, people in the media, 
second guess. I mean, I guess that's the the ultimate sports game. We second guess. Like the Mariners made a mistake in bringing in starter Robbie Ray because he gives up home runs, even though Robbie Ray is a pretty dominant guy, a big arm on the left side, going you know to face with two outs in the ninth inning to face Jordan Alvarez. And I know Jordan Alvarez is one of the three or four, you know, top hitters in baseball, great slugger. He had given up, talking about Robbie Ray, only four home runs all year to lefties. He gave up, I think, 28 to right-handed hitters, but only four to lefties. But I think it was the right move. So I'm not going to sit here and criticize Scott Service for bringing a lefty who throws in the upper 90s with a good slider, and it didn't work out. I'm not going to Monday morning quarterback that. I think that was the right move. And, and hats off to Jordan Alvarez. Great baseball game, as we talked about. And he hits the walk-off home run. But I'm all in, man. Postseason baseball is uh, awesome. On to football here for a moment. And there's a lot of topics. I'll begin with the Broncos. Now, that game last weekend against the Colts, is in the running for the worst NFL game I have ever seen. It was almost comical how bad it was on both sides. The ineptitude was ridiculous. Now, I'll credit both defenses. The Broncos played good defense. Colts played good defense. And I think there was some of that. But there was more ineptitude on offense as opposed to, you know, 85 Bears type of defense. And it was as dull as dull gets. And it was so fitting that the damn thing went to overtime. Now, subject uh, number one on every sports person's mind in Denver and the surrounding region is what's up with Russell Wilson, their $245 million quarterback. I'm confounded as well about his play. And I look and I say, you know what? He still throws the ball with authority. This is not Drew Brees late in his career where you go, man, he doesn't have his fastball anymore. In fact, he he doesn't he, he doesn't even throw a changeup. He just he just can't make throws anymore. That's what it was at the end for Drew Brees. You don't see that with Russell Wilson. When he does move, you go, hey, legs still work. He can still scramble. He hasn't become a broken down old guy that. Man, he used to be really elusive, and now he's not. He's a sitting duck in the pocket. His decision-making, you and I both watch, has been way off. And that, again, has been the best word for it is confounding. The throw that that was up for grabs in the fourth quarter that prevented a field goal attempt, I was perplexed. And the force on the slant into the end zone late in the fourth where a field goal will give them a six-point lead and the Colts can't score to save their life, I mean, that probably wins it, as you and I both know. And then on the goal line, not recognizing, you know, every team runs a rub route on the goal line, right? A, a pick route, whatever you want to call it. And, and that is your initial read uh, you're going to get a you're going to get a pick, and the slant is going to be open for a smidgen nine times out of ten. He didn't even look in that direction, and then he has to throw under an arm, side arm, trying to force it in the middle of the football field to Cortland Sutton because I guess that's the only guy he trusts. It was just bad. 
for for a smart quarterback, for a guy that typically reads coverages and pre-snap reads is on top of everything, his play has been perplexing. And and so therefore overall the Broncos with a pretty sound defense has been surprisingly bad. We'll see what it looks like going forward. You know I'm a Giant fan from way back, having grown up in New York. Maybe the best story in, in the NFL, the football Giants, 4-1 and one under Brian Dable, who would be an early candidate. I, mean, I went off last week about, don't give me MVPs and Coach of the Year three or four weeks in, and I just started to go down there. Oh, an early candidate for Coach of the Year would be Brian Dable. But certainly five weeks in, uh, the Giants have been a big surprise. The reason I'm bringing them up, and they beat Green Bay over in London last weekend, is that they have exhibited patience with Daniel Jones. Now they didn't pick they, they picked up his fifth year option, didn't sign him to, you know, some lucrative long year, you know, long-term deal. You have a new regime in there, a new general manager, a new head coach in, in Dayball. It seems like everybody came from Buffalo. Now, Daniel Jones has not been lighting the world on fire, but because they've exhibited patience, you can see a lot of winning characteristics with J- with Daniel Jones. His wide receiver room is is not good, bad, one of the worst in the NFL. Um, he has good legs. He, he's very athletic. Um, they're utilizing Saquon Barkley, who looks like Saquon Barkley of his rookie year, and they're winning. And you can and you can look now and say, you know what, Daniel Jones, he may not be one of the top five quarterbacks ever in the NFL, but you can win with him. And I just think, and you've heard me pontificate on this in the past, that the NFL dismisses quarterbacks too quickly and is not patient with them. So I'm mentioning uh, the Giants because they've exhibited patience with Daniel Jones and it is paying off Uh, to a certain degree so far. All right, one more note on the NFL, and this was a big subject in the aftermath of the fifth week of the season. Sacks. Tom Brady gets sacked by Grady Jarrett, and he Grady Jarrett was called for unnecessary roughness. That was, and I think there's unanimity here, that was one of the biggest joke calls I've ever seen. It is right up there, with the no call on interference that prevented the Saints from moving on in the 2019 playoffs when a guy just ran over a guy with his back completely turned to the football. And and it's still to this day inexplicable how nothing was called there. And then the next night, when Derek Carr was sacked by Chris Jones and he fumbled and Jones recovered it, and that was called unnecessary roughness, it is a reactionary league. I'm certainly not privy to what is discussed behind closed doors. Uh, we know the Tua got hurt, Tunga Viola. And now if you touch a quarterback or breathe on a quarterback, there's going to be an unnecessary roughness call. It can't happen, man. You, you have had numerous quarterbacks who are now members of the media sound off and say, nope, this is bad. It is bad for the sport. I know we have to protect the head, and I know that the NFL has made inroads in doing as such. But to call unnecessary roughness when you just simply tackle the quarterback, you can't have that or you don't have a sport. You have the Pro Bowl, for God's sakes, which now they're getting rid of because it's just two-hand touch and grab. Nobody gets a grass stain in in the Pro Bowl. 
football, by its very nature, we know is is a violent sport. It is. You're going to have injuries, and unfortunately, yes, you're going to have concussions still going forward. You have to be able to sack the quarterback. Not saying 80 style sack the quarterback where you picked up Jim McMahon and dumped him on his head, but the call on Brady in the Brady sack, the call when Derek Carr was sacked, that was so egregiously horrible, they got to correct it immediately. Not in not in the offseason after the rules committee gets together. That has to be told to referees going forward. Yes, you're protecting the quarterback, but my goodness, if he gets sacked and he gets tossed to the ground and, and it's not over the top, do not throw a flag. All right, back to our interview of the week. Sean Bouchard. And if you think all the rookies that played for the Rockies this year, especially the number of rookies that um, made an appearance late in the season, the final four or five weeks, you know, in- including Ezekiel Tovar, but Michael Tolia um, and Sean Bouchard and some of the guys that had been here, you know, for, for a while longer, like Brian Servan and some of the guys that had a cup of coffee, like Quentin Bernard. Maybe the guy that made the biggest impact was left fielder Sean Bouchard out of UCLA originally, a ninth-round pick, a guy that you know has gone step by step by step to get an opportunity to go to the big leagues, and he arrives at 26. Maybe he had the most positive impact and made the most positive impression in the waning weeks of the 2022 season. And as I said uh, at the start of the podcast, I think you're going to really enjoy him. Um, and so without further ado, as the saying goes, here is Rockies left fielder out of UCLA by way of San Diego, California, Sean Bouchard. All right, Sean, I got to ask you, you're, you're at mom and dad's uh, down in San Diego. When you woke up this morning or maybe it was last night, um, was there a little extra bounce in the step of uh, folks from down there after the Padres took out the Mets? There was. Um, you could definitely you could definitely kind of sense it a little bit. I was actually hanging out with some friends who, who live here, and and everyone's excited um, in San Diego for obviously the Padres' success. And growing up a Padres fan, there's a small part of me, very small part, <laughs> um, that appreciates obviously what they've done uh, over the years, and and it's cool to see to see them playing well. Um, obviously, where I'm at now in my life, I'm playing for the Rockies. Um, it's obviously different um, as far as fandom goes, but but it's fun for the city. It's fun for them, and it's you know as an athlete, it's it's fun for you know those players. I'm sure. Yeah, and, and you know what? I look at it as it's okay to have guilty pleasures. I grew up I here's the deal man I grew up in New York I'm a lifelong Mets fan I obviously have been working for the Rockies for you know more than two decades so I I I pull hard for all of you to do really well however unfortunately that wasn't the case this year where the Rockies were going to participate in the postseason. So guess what, man? I'm, I was on board with the Mets. So I'm a little pissed off at, at San Diego today, even though I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of people I respect over on that side. So you know what? It's okay. You grew up in San Diego. You, you can pull for the Padres now. Exactly. No, it's, um, 
it was cool to see, you know, especially like I said, as an athlete, you know, you you grow up dreaming of, you know, obviously playing in the big leagues, but even more so playing in the playoffs. So to see the team that you grew up for, uh, grew up rooting for, to do that, um, you know, it's just one step of the playoffs, but it was cool to see. Yeah. Do you know Musgrove at all, or is he's a little younger, right? Or he's a little older, I should say. A little bit older than me. I don't know him personally, but I've, you know, gone through the, the high school ranks, um, definitely knew the name, and, you know, it's really cool to obviously see him do what he's done the last few years. I mean, it's it's unusual for you guys that, you know, have are, were talented enough and, and worked their tails off like you have and, and Joe has you know, to, to get to the promised land, if you will, but to be able to dream and then end up pitching for your hometown. I mean, that shit doesn't happen frequently, man. That That's, that's cool yeah. stuff. It is. It's, um, and I think if you were to write a storybook, um, for an athlete, I think that's definitely how it would go. Um, but yeah, no, like you said, it's, that's pretty rare to, to be able to do stuff like that and to be in the, you know, have the opportunity Right, even pitching a winner-take-all type of game for San Diego is something that seems like is even more rare. <laughs> um, yeah, with all the you know all the seasons that they've had um, the last you know, couple of decades. But you know, like I said, it was cool. It was cool to see him. Cool to the Padres. So you know, happy for them for sure. Yeah, you know what? I'm happy for them. I, I pull for the NL West. I, it, it's sometimes hard to pull for the Dodgers, but I always I always yeah. look at it as individuals. Like I, you know. Dave Roberts is a friend. He's somebody I, um, he's easy to root for, even though the you know the Dodgers are that big beast uh, as you as you well know. And and same thing with San Diego. I mean, Jake Cronenworth, good dude. I like Machado a lot. Josh Bell, I know he hasn't been there long. Good dude. So you know you kind of you pull for individuals. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it for sure. Hey, uh, real quick, what was your take on, it, it was a bit unusual, and there was some gamesmanship, certainly didn't work out, so Buck Showalter in the sixth inning goes out and has, you know, basically has uh, Joe Musgrove undress on the mound, um, as a player, and as an offensive player, uh, and we know pitchers have always utilized, you know, whether it's tackiness, or pine tar, whatever else, something to, to get a grip, or to you know, get ball movement, et cetera. What was your take? Uh, no, there's, you hear rumors all the time of guys using things and, you know, that's <laughs> part of baseball, I guess, is that's gone back, you know, centuries now. Um, but, you know, as far as show Walter checking and everything, I guess, you know, he's well within his right to do that. Um, if they think one thing or another, and obviously over the last couple of years, it's been a hot topic uh, within the baseball world. But honestly, my initial take on that was kind of from the, like if I were a Padres player, right, you, you saw Machado kind of laughing on the mound. You kind of saw some of the players um, looking around, looking into the dugout. If I was a player and someone checked, you know, a Rocky pitcher, came back clean, um, and they're dominating the way that Musgrove was last night. And I felt like that almost, in a sense, backfired against um, Showalter and the Mets because, like I was saying, as a player, like, that was fired me up, right? Like, you, the other team thinks that one of your teammates is cheating. They try to check them, comes back clean. Uh, as a player, I feel like that was fired me up. And I, I almost could sense that 
through through the TV a little bit with the Padres. You know, they had the four nothing lead, I think, at that point, but that almost encouraged them a little bit more to say, you know what, these guys think we're doing something. Like, let's keep the pedal down a little bit. So again, from a pure competitive standpoint, I thought that was that was an interesting move out of the mess, and I think it really ended up helping the Padres a little bit more. Yeah, it it almost seemed to be out of desperation. Um, I, I said this earlier, and you know, having been around Major League Baseball for you know now a lengthy period of time, there there was almost um, there's almost been kind of a an unspoken quid pro quo that you know we do it as pitchers, and we know you do it, and so we're not going to check you because we're we're doing the same thing on our side. Uh, Fair statement? Yeah, I would, you know, without incriminating anybody. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's definitely a, a common sentiment, and I think that's probably a really good way to put it, that, you know, kind of uh, you're doing something, we're doing something, kind of uh, don't talk about it, don't do anything about it. But, again, you know, because that is such a rare move to actually go out and check, I think that really kind of ended up helping the positive a little bit more. Any surprise since we're talking about the postseason through the first round? Any surprises? Any any team that that moved on that you thought, wow, that to me that was an upset based on your observations? Um, I don't know. I mean, that's the beauty of baseball, right? Is that yes, obviously you're going to have your favorites, and the four teams that have the buys are obviously you know really good teams, and throughout the the whole regular season they've separated themselves, but. As you know, you know, you've been around the game. It's, it's baseball. It's so much different than any other sport where, you know, you could have a, a clear, you know, quote-unquote favorite on paper. And then you have a clear, quote-unquote favorite on paper for, for some teams, but you go out and play the game. And it's just so much different than other sports where, you know, you have one good outing from a pitcher and a couple key hits from, you know, the bottom of the order like the Padres had the last few nights. And and series can change quick. So from that point of view, I don't know. Every team that gets in the playoffs, I feel like is obviously a good team. Um, so was it interesting to see some of the uh, lower seeds and the visiting teams win? Sure, but nothing super surprising, I don't think. No, I, I guess on a you know from a historical standpoint, it really would have been nice to see. You know, Pujols and Molina and Wainwright mo- move on. Uh, you know, so we o- we always want to write that kind of storybook type script, but um, that's that's not sports, right? And that's that's the beauty of it is it's not you know perfect from anyone's perspective, and that's you know that's that's why you play the playoffs. You know, if it was just the best team always wins, right? You would just kind of end at the regular season and crown the regular season champ, but, you know, that's, again, you know, as an athlete and as someone's been around the game for a while, it's, that's what you play for. That's what you enjoy. Um, so good for, like, you know, the underdogs um, for, for playing well this past week. And, you know, we'll see how it keeps going the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, you summarized it exceptionally well. I've always said baseball is completely different. Um, as you know from your days at UCLA, I'm sure you lined up and, and, and played some a team on paper that, you know, there wasn't one guy on that other team that UCLA would have even 
looked at <laughs> twice and they beat you, you know, on a, you know, it, one out of three games or whatever the series was. And that that's, that's where day, baseball is completely different. You know, I always say this, if Alabama lines up and plays, you know, Southern Illinois, guess what? Southern Illinois ain't going to beat Alabama a hundred times out of a hundred, but in baseball, <laughs> Southern Illinois and could line up and play Alabama or LSU or UCLA. And guess what? If they played them 10 times, they're probably going to win once or twice. It's interesting for sure. But yeah, it's been a good week so far for the play of baseball, I think. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. Hey, let me, let me ask you about um, your experience in the big leagues and we'll get into some specifics, but overall, it, as you've now had a few days to kind of reflect on what was, I'm sure a whirlwind four or five weeks what did you what did you take away the most from your experience? What did I take away the most? Um I think you know, not to get super deep or anything, but I think, you know, when there's something that in life that you've been working for for so long, you know, and I don't want to take anything away from the minor leagues because you know, that's a completely different experience, um, but definitely a fulfilling experience in so many different ways than the classic, you know, fulfilling dreams kind of thing. But, um, you know, when there's something that you've been working for your whole life and then you kind of get there and you get that chance, you know, over the last couple of days for the offseason to kind of reflect on, you know, what you really accomplished, I think. At the end of the day, it's really just a – it's a proud feeling um, for, you know, for myself, but also for everyone else that has helped me get to this point, um, you know, family members, friends, coaching, coaching staff, um, really anyone that's helped me along the way, I think, is just uh, it's just been a really fun experience to, to finally get to do that. Was it also, Sean, reaffirming in that, you performed very well, and I know it's a, a, a small snippet, if you will, of, of a big league season or certainly a big league career, which you know you aspire to have a long one, uh, right. but you did perform well, and you had, uh, at times, great success. So reaffirming in that, hey, I belong, I can play at this level, I'm not over my head? Yeah, definitely. I think you know every athlete um, goes through those, you know, those mental hurdles. You know, up or down, you know, extreme confidence or, you know, the polar opposite of that. Um, but again, right? That's, that's sports, you know, even Tom Brady and even, you know, Mike Trout or, you know, whoever else, everyone's going to have their bad days, their bad moments. Um, but you know, to a certain extent, that's again, what makes it exciting. It's those adjustments. It's that constant learning, that constant. You know, just seeing where you stack up, I feel like, um, and, you know, getting to the, to the big leagues, like I said, was a, an accomplishment in itself, but then to also, you know, play relatively well was another thing of just, you know what, you know, I'm going to see where I, where I fit in, where, where I need to, to make adjustments, where I need to get better and, and things like that. But it's a, it's an ever evolving process and, and to me, that's why I love sports. But no, it definitely feels good, you know. To, yeah. To put it bluntly, you know, it definitely has been worse. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. And I'm I'm happy with it. So it's good. 
one of my, I don't know how to put this, mantras, if you will, in life um, throughout, you know, 59 years and something I passed on to my boys who were, you know, all, uh, you know, play, played college baseball and um, I was the same way as, as chip on the shoulder guy. I love chip on the shoulder guy. And the reason I'm bringing this up is um, as gifted as you were growing up and you go to UCLA, uh, you're a ninth round pick. You're not a first round pick or even a second round pick. Um, do you carry some of that with you in a, and I, and I love it if you do, cause it's, cause to me, I, I think it's a, a great positive, but is that something that, you know, burns inside you or, or are you kind of wired a different way? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, in the heat of the moment, you're always just competing no matter what, but in kind of those down moments, right in the off season or, you know, even sometimes pre-game or pre-series or whatever, you know, there's definitely times where you look around, right? And especially on the big league field and you see, okay, first rounder, second rounder, big international sign, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. and there's absolutely a feeling of, hey, man, like I got to go out and earn it every single day. You know, nothing's going to be given to me, nothing. And not to say that, you know, that happens in a lot of cases, but you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, top pick, whatever, you're going to get more of a leash of a more chances. Um, but again, like you said, like I've kind of learned from a relatively early point in my career, you know, freshly coming out of college in the pro ball. Hey, I got to earn everything I do. It's, I'm not just going to move up level to level because I was a first rounder because of, you know, whatever. And that in a certain sense gives you some confidence, right? Knowing that whatever, advancements you make and whatever kind of pathway you carve out for yourself is earned and it's not given. And I think that at the end of the day is, is again, something that you, or at least for myself, that I'm always trying to work towards and push towards is knowing that anything that I do is something that, that I've had to earn. And it's, it's absolutely, um, something that's in the back of your head of that feeling of, you know what, maybe, Maybe I'm not as good as people think I am, you know, and there's that little piece that makes you work a little bit harder, prepare a little bit more and, you know, want to go that extra mile because, because yeah, you know, or at a certain point in my career, people, you know, not to say that I was a super low pick, but, you know, there was obviously eight chances that every single team had to pick me and they didn't. But, um, you know, I've, I've gotten over that point. Um, Mentally, but there's there's absolutely a little bit of a little bit of a fire there. Uh, see, I think that's a great thing. I, I think any anything that you can conjure up, whether it's real or perceived, to to get you to do that extra set in the weight room, the extra sprint in the outfield, and you know, in December and January in preparation for the season, I think that's you know, those are all positive things. You're, it's interesting how the game has evolved. We pay more attention than ever before, as you well know, to on-base percentage, the ability to walk, the ability to control the strike zone. You demonstrated that, which is really unusual at, um, you know, uh, 
a, a young age in terms of major league experience. I mean, you're not 21. We understand that. But but just in terms of major league service time, uh, I, I know your you know your stats fairly well from from the minor leagues. You you always had that. Um, was it easy or difficult to have it transfer to the big league level? Um, you know, I don't want to make anything at that level seem like it was, you know, easy. Sure. But to a certain extent, you know, everyone always says, you know, what's, you know, what's the big difference between, you know, the minors and the big leagues? And it's, you know, obviously the, the, um, the stuff, the, uh, the talent, it's obviously, it's all better, right? You know, that's, right. Thing. But to a certain extent, you can almost use that a little bit to your advantage. You know, sliders are going to move a little bit more. They're going to be a little bit sharper. Fastballs are going to have more carry. Two seams are going to have a little bit more strength. Um, stuff like that. And, you know, without boring you or anyone else to death with, you know, the little details, I mean, you can kind of use some of that stuff to your advantage. You know, you you prepare, you look to see what, what type of pitches you know, someone has or how much, you know, the ball moves, you know, with all the data that we have nowadays, I mean, you can, you can literally find out anything about someone's pitches. And to a certain extent, you know, if you, if you know a guy likes to throw a pitch down and away and that's where he throws his slider all the time, you see a ball out of that tunnel, there's a good chance, you know, it's going to be down and away. Um, now, obviously, everyone's human. No one's perfect. If you're said than done. But to a certain extent, um, you can almost use that to your advantage as far as controlling the strike zone or as far as, um, you know, at the end of the day, maybe getting a walk or getting on base or even just driving up a pitch count, uh, little things like that. Yeah. Hey, was there was there a single um, hit that you had that stands out above all others and why? What, was it your first big league home run? Was it... I don't know. I'll let you fill in the blank. And certainly if it was your first big league home run to me as someone uh, that never got to play in the big leagues, that would make a lot of sense. But what was it for you? I can't exactly point towards an at bat or a hit or anything, but there was just a moment where of the feeling of I belong, you know, and I mm-hmm. think that it's a very fleeting feeling, especially for, you know, guys that are first, you know, the big leagues, you know, the rookies or even, you know, even years down the road. Um, but there was just like, uh, there's a string of that bats um, after, after we got home from the Chicago road trip where I really felt like I can do this kind of thing. And I think for me, there was a lot of confidence in that. There was a lot of general comfort. Uh, and that was that was, I think, the best kind of quote unquote cool feeling was to genuinely believe in myself and genuinely think, okay, I can do this. And I think, you know, like I said, without trying to be too uh, too basic and just saying, you know, hitting the homer is cool, which it totally is. <laughs> um, sure. I think that feeling was the most important for me and the coolest thing that I really experienced this year. Again, the season, as you and I chat, ended five days ago, um, and and you had again. This is me talking. You had a really excellent, you know, final four or five weeks, and and 
I'm sure fans feel this way. Hey, th- this Bouchard guy, man, wow, I didn't know a lot about him. And do you allow do you allow yourself now with the number of at bats that you got to say I can be if given 550 at bats, I can be numerically this type of player? Has your mind gone in that direction? No, and I think the way I've always been watched again um, is I got to earn it every single every single day, every single week, every season. Um, and I'm I'm just so focused on kind of the day to day thing of baseball, and you kind of have to be with such a long year. That's something I learned in college, and my coach um, John Savage always preached. You know. You know, kind of one pitch at a time. That was kind of his thing. One game at a time. Don't look towards anything else. Don't. Because I, I see, and, I, and I'll be honest, I've done that before in the past in the minors. Of, I can kind of keep doing this for a couple more months. Maybe these will be where my numbers are at. And I feel like before you can even finish the thought, you're already going downhill, you know, kind of focusing on the wrong things. Um, so, so, yeah, I guess, the you know, like it'll creep into my head every once in a while, but at the end of the day, like it was what a hundred at bats or you know whatever. Like it's really not much at all. So for me, the exciting part is okay. That's you know chapter one. That's, that's fun. Um, you know, let's see if I can go do it again. You know, and let's see how much better I can get. And that's that's where my head goes a lot of this stuff. And you know, there's there's a lot of excitement for sure from my end. That, you know, let's go out there and do it again. Let's keep going. Let's let's try to get some wins. Um, a little bit more than we got this year. Um, that's where that's where my head's at with with a lot of that stuff. All right, specifically, as you you know, when you start gearing up and working out, weight room and throwing and hitting and and the things that you do, you know, agility stuff to prepare for spring training and ultimately the the marathon that is. A professional baseball season. Um, where do you want to get better? What? Where's your focus going to be? Is it sad to say everything? <laughs> no, that's it, uh-huh. no, that's that's a that's a fair assessment. And in, in terms of, it, it, there is no right or wrong answer. It's how you right. perceive yourself and right, and right. so on. Um, no, and and I haven't really had the chance to totally dive in to. Um, some really specific things with, you know, as far as the coaching staff or front office feel about what things that they want, um, things that they want to see or whatever. Haven't really had that chance yet, but kind of a grab bag of like, you know, run faster, jump higher, be stronger, everything. But, but you know, a very real answer though is I want to get better defensively. I want to get better with, um, you know, a little bit of everything, kind of refine the edges a little bit. I feel like there's some things I do well, and there's obviously a lot of things that I don't. Otherwise, you know, if I was, you know, I would have been the big league years ago, right? But there's a, um, there's definitely a component of, you know, I'm just like anyone else. I see, I see numbers, I see things that I need to work at, you know, and the fans or friends are point things out, you know. I've, I can tell you I'm the first one to know. <laughs> I know already before a fan points something out or a friend or someone says something. So 
to a certain extent, you know, like I said, I kind of want to get better at a little bit of everything. Um, but I also, I just want to provide some sort of value um, to the team, whether that's, you know, like I said, if that's me getting on base, if that's me trying to hit more extra bases or playing better defense or this, that, whatever. Um, I think my goal really at the end of the day, anything, is just how can I help this team win? Um, so as we get going into the offseason, you know, that's definitely going to be my focus. And hopefully that gets a little bit narrowed down once I start talking to coaching staff and everyone. So that's a good answer, man. It's not, that's, an, that's an honest appraisal. Uh, okay, here's one. Was there was there a really cool moment as a big leaguer, whether it was like, man, these clubhouses are a lot nicer, or you know, you didn't have to get up at five in the morning to, to get on a commercial flight to fly from Albuquerque to, to Houston, or um, man, the food's pretty good in the clubhouse. I mean, was there like was there that really cool moment? Yeah, no, I think one of the first things um, is. And I honestly, everything you just said, it's all those little extra, um, I guess, side effects of being a big leaguer. It's the, you know, being able to go straight from the field to the airport and not have to deal with, you know, security and all that stuff. Or, you know, the hotels, um, being in bigger cities, you know, like places that I've never been to Chicago before. So to be able to stay right in Heart of Chicago and obviously stay in some really nice places. Um, the food, the clubhouse, everything is just better. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, that was, that was a really cool piece of, of just, you know, getting to experience the big league life is it's, um, you know, you kind of put in your, put in your time, <laughs> right? Going through the minors and everything and to be rewarded with all the, uh, the fun, um, I guess the amenities that you get to enjoy is that's really where you kind of sometimes is like, hey, you know, I'm in the big leagues, right? Like this is this is sweet. It's like shiny shiny new toys, and you want to hold on to those toys, man. Yep, I get that. Hey, uh, so you, at UCLA, and you got your degree, right? In, in poli sci. Poli sci. Poli sci. So everybody I either went to school with that was a political science major or that I know of that was a poli sci major, and I think I mentioned this to you. Every they took that and they went to law school eventually. Was that was that going to be your backup plan? Is that still your backup plan? Uh, what do you got with your with your poli sci degree from you know a great school? Yeah, um, you know it's always been. Well, in general, my my mom and a lot of my family are in the education industry, if you will. Um, so that's always been extremely important in my life, um, in my family. So getting a degree, um, especially from that school, was kind of utmost importance. But kind of once baseball kind of started getting going with, you know, and the, the opportunity to get drafted and play professionally in the minors and everything, that it kind of switched as, like, okay, this is what I want to do for, you know, for as long as I can. But um, I guess, like, to answer your question, I'm not sure that being a lawyer was, like, my, my, uh, my goal, per se, but I'm, I haven't completely, you know, 
push that aside. Um, you know, <laughs> you talk to my parents, they'll say, oh, you know, this kid should argue anything. Um, <laughs> but he's, you know, was an arguer type test. You see with umpires sometimes, I don't know. But anyways, it's, um, it's absolutely something that's in, you know, the back of my head. And like I was saying you earlier, it's, uh, it's an opportunity and it's something that I'm, I'm happy that, that doorway is still relatively open by getting my degree and, and completing that. So definitely happy about that. But as far as, you know, being full gung ho on being a lawyer at some point, I'm not sure. But again, um, never. They got time to figure it out. Ho- hopefully, 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 you got an interim gig here for uh, you know a good ten, twelve years or something, right? Exactly. Hey, real quick, when uh, when you were coming out of high school in San Diego, you know, if you if you end up going to UCLA, the guys that Coach Savage and you know before him, you know that ilk of school, they're recruiting guys that were either drafted out of high school or aspire to play professional baseball because to play at that level you have to have that kind of talent was that your mindset or did you think like i'm going to go play college baseball at ucla and and then i'm going to you know go to grad school or or whatever and maybe if it works out uh, you know i I know in talking to a a guy that you overlapped with for one year and you've become closer with you know as a pro michael tolia i mean he he was drafted pretty high out of high school and he wanted to be a first rounder and i mean that not that he, I know he's a bright guy, but I mean, his whole focus was, I'm going to be a, you know, a high round pick and I'm going to be a big leaguer. What what was it like for you when you were 18 years old? Yeah, no, it's, it's similar. You know, like you said, there, you don't, <laughs> you don't really kind of stumble your way to the um, situations that Mike and I have kind of found ourselves in in the last few years. Um, so it, it was the same thing. It was, you know, I love playing this game. I love doing what I do. Like, let's see how far I can kind of, um, now where there's some, some speed bumps and some learning curves along the way. Absolutely. And I think that's the beauty of baseball. It could be life, really, at that age. Really, at any age. It's a lifelong thing, but, um, it was absolutely uh, at the forefront of my mind. I want to have a chance to go to, to UCLA to a good school, both academically and athletically, to have a chance to play there. Um, and, you know, hey, if, you know, if I do well there and if I do this and that, I have a chance to play professionally. And uh, that was definitely um, the plan and the goal. Um, and it was, you know, one thing I drafted and all, all that happened. I said, you know what, I don't – I don't have to be a lawyer right away. I can kind of do this for a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey uh, last one, Sean. The the beach is in close proximity to where you are. Um, is that a is that a main part of your until you go back down to Arizona? Is that uh, a main part of uh, of life for you? Absolutely. Um, you know, being in the water, even really being close to it, has a lot of there's a lot of physical but also mental benefits. Um, and I just literally the other day I was out, you know, in the water with my friends and 
laying on the beach or body surfing or, you know, surfing in general or just, you know, just laying in the water. I don't does something to me, you know, mentally, physically. It just makes me feel better. makes me, I don't know, it's a little bit of, uh, of you know, mental therapy, if you will. Um, so it's, it's always been a part of my life. You know, I'm born and raised in San Diego, and it's absolutely a piece of this city, of this, you know, subculture in Southern California. I love it, and um, I'm definitely going to enjoy it for, you know, like you said, next few months until the spring training starts back up. Well, I love the mountains, but I'll tell you that the that the water has the same effect for me, man. It it puts it it uh, it has a calming uh, effect on me, and obviously a lot of other people, man. So I I get what you say, and I, that's why the the new schedule where you, we play uh, every team in baseball, it's got benefits. You know, you're going to see Boston and the Yankees, and you know <laughs> every team in baseball. But the one bummer is. Um, I even I, I used to say this even in lean years, and this year obviously was tough. Uh, but uh, you always got to go to San Diego three times and LA three times, so we'll have to suffer through only twice in your hometown, man. I think we'll survive. Yeah, I think we will. Hey, Sean, I really appreciate the time, man. Um, enjoy the off season. I look forward to seeing you. You know how fast it goes. It'll be uh, it'll be no time down in Scottsdale. But uh, congrats on, on a wonderful. Um, debut in the big leagues this year thank you Drew. appreciate you having me on and yeah absolutely you know it'll be it'll be a good off season but i'm excited to get back to see you and everyone else you got it man take care of yourself be well thank you you too sean bouchard provides an opportunity for a good story a guy again that was a ninth round pick that you know going forward hopefully becomes an impactful guy continues the trend he started of high on base percentage, extra base hit component. And when you look up at his numbers in the minor leagues, he was above an 850 OPS in the minor leagues, hit some homers, hit doubles, and always the, the high on base percentage. And he's a bright guy and a guy that you know continues to get better and work at his craft. And the Rockies need good stories. And Sean Bouchard was a good story for four or five weeks, and, and hopefully that plays out going forward in 2023 over a six-month uh, period of time. But again, big thanks to uh, to Brian for for joining us, and um, I know it was good for you to get to know him a little bit better. Before we get on out of here, talk about hockey. Um, as we speak, I'm getting ready to uh, get in the car and head downtown, watch the uh, – the raising of banner number three for the Stanley Cup champion, uh, Colorado Avalanche. And I'm so excited about uh, about watching that as the Avs open tonight against the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. Here's my early season prediction. I think the Avalanche, they're going to play without Gabriel Landeskog for a period of time. They have a new goaltender in uh, Alexander Georgiev that came from the Rangers. And, and so they're they're breaking in. You know, a new goaltender for them and, and communication with maybe the top decor in all of hockey. Uh, but again, without their captain. And is there always a hangover effect, I think, at the start of the season for the Stanley Cup champions? I, I think there is. And so for me, the first couple of months of the season, I think if the Avalanche just hold serve and, and are just, you know, solid, you know, but not 
otherworldly. I don't think that will be a surprise. And I think once January comes around, I think that's when they start kicking it in. Because, man, it, it just seemed like 10 minutes ago that they were winning the Stanley Cup and they're touting, you know, bringing it around the world into different bars and different parades, uh, you know, around North America and around Europe. And, and now they were back at camp and then they're back on the ice and they're skating again, trying to defend their cup. They're good enough to win another cup. Absolutely. Joe Sackick has, has done a remarkable job. But I just think there's going to be, as I said, a little bit of a hangover. And I don't think they're going to get off and start boat racing people from day one of the NHL season. I would pay more attention when January rolls around and they start positioning themselves um, for another cup run. And they are plenty good enough to raise it again. And it all starts tonight. So I'm fired up about that. All right. We'll do it again next week. We'll get into more football stuff and uh, we'll have more hockey stuff and uh, baseball playoffs. Excited about that. Y'all stay well, stay safe. And uh, we'll do it again in seven days. 